Throughout history, there have been four major views that people have understood Revelation. Four major views. And they mostly center around how to interpret chapter 6 or 16. Now, this is where I, I, you should always read Revelation, every book before we do this study. So you're not just taking, you're not just following along as I go. That You've already been there and back again before we go through this together. But one of the other reasons I really adamantly said, like, you need to really read this book before you come, is because we're going to talk about these four views, and I want you to have the bigger framework. Okay, so here's the bigger frame. If you want to sketch this a little bit, chapters 1 through 3 are the letters of the churches. Christ is introduced as the fiery eye, sword mouth guy, and he has the seven letters to the churches. Most people take these pretty literal, not the Christ with the sword, fire eyes, but what God is saying, because the seven letters read like the epistles, and the epistles are very concrete, like intellectual, sequential, um, cause and effect kind of idea and logic, okay? So that's the first three. We're mostly not going to talk about that. Four through five, I told you last week, is what I think is two of four of the most important chapters in all of Revelation. Four is the enthronement of God. Not Well, it's not the enthronement. It's the vision of God on the throne. And five is the enthronement of Jesus the Lamb. Everybody understands that those are pretty um, metaphorical. Seven eyes, seven horns kind of makes it clear. Okay, But where that fits into past, present, future, that's kind of debatable. But that's not even really the issue. Six through 18 is what we would call the judgments of the seals, the judgments of the trumpets, and the judgments of the bulls with the fall of Babylon, which is metaphorical for either, depending on your view, the Roman Empire, the Catholic Church, or any old Roman Empire, or any empire that's corrupt. Then, in 19 through 20, we have the coming of Christ and the judgment throne. And then in 21 through 22, we have the kingdom of God coming to earth. If you, it, coming to earth. I'll go through that all again. So chapters 1 through 3 are the several seven concrete logical letters to the churches, although those people take those metaphorically too. Then 4 and 5 is the throne of Yahweh and Jesus co-reigning, co-sitting. 6 through 18, some people throw 19 in there with as well, is the judgments, three of the seal, three of the trumpets, three of the bulls, which is 21 in total, which that's the question you have to ask yourself. Why are there three sets of seven and not 21 judgments? Okay, we'll talk about that. Um, and then you have 19 through 20, which is the second coming of Christ and the judgment seat. And then you have 19 through 20. Is that what I said? All right, a lot of numbers. Um, and then 21 through 22 is the kingdom of God coming to earth. Most people are pretty in agreement with 1 through 3 and mostly through 4 through 5 as well. When we get to 6 through 19, that's when we branch out into these major four views, and there's tons of little disagreements within those four views too. That's where you get throw a penny and you'll find a view, Okay. Then, when you get to 19 and 20, you start coming, everybody starts coming back closer to agreement. The views start becoming more, fewer and fewer. There's still some division there. And then when we hit 21 and 22, everybody tends to be on the same page again. 
there's always some weird thing out there somewhere, but overall. And so you, it kind of like funnel, it, it has a follow path. We're all on the same page. We all kind of branch, branch out into all these different views, and then we come back together in the end. And that's cool too, because what I think is the most important chapters in the Bible or Revelation tends to be what most everybody's mostly in agreement on those. When we talk about the four major views of Revelation, we're mostly talking about how to interpret 6 through 19. 6 through 19, that's where most of the disagreement comes from. There's four major views, the Futurists, the Preterists, the Historists, and the Idealists. I would make a, a pastor really proud of all their symmetry, okay? Within that, you also have three views on how to interpret the thousand-year reign of Christ, which is sometimes called a millennial reign, and that is premillennialism, postmillennialism, and amillennialism. We are not talking about that until we get to chapter 20. I'm just going to shelve that right now. It, the idea will pop up here and there as we talk about the four major views, but I will not use those words. Those words are in my notes and parentheses, so you can line them up, but I will not use those words until we get to chapter 20. I'm just trying to... I'm, I've, I've been teaching high school kids for a very long time, and I've just learned, like, just keep this as simple as possible, and we'll just do it when we get there. So we're going to talk about how most people interpret Revelation as a whole, not necessarily that chapter 20, the thousand-year reign of Christ, um, and mostly chapters 6 through 19. Futurists. This is the most popular view in America. This is made very, very popular by Tim LaHaye, who was a pastor back in the 50s and so. He teamed up with a man by the name of Jerry Jenkins, it's actually Jerry B. Jenkins. When you're a scholar, you've got to throw the middle initials in. <laughs> and they wrote a series. Well, they did a movie, and they wrote a series. Well, mostly they did a series of books called Left Behind. And that is the purest, most unpacked version of the futurist view. There are obviously tons of people within the futurists who disagree with that book here and there and there and there and there. But if you want to get its purest, most concrete, and because of the influence of some pastors during that time period, specifically Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, which I came from, but I don't take this view. Um, they made it popular because they sent lots of pastors out into America, and then the books made it super popular, and you guys, everybody in this room, except for you, um, are pretty familiar with that series and how it impacted things. Maybe you guys are not as clear, but... I won't point you out again and embarrass you. So this is the futurists. They deny that most of the imagery in the numbers in Revelation is symbolic, and they take a very literal view. They, obviously, they don't think Jesus is literally a seven eyes, seven horn, but by far the majority of things in Revelation, they take all the numbers literally. They, they, they take all the symbolic, most, by far the overwhelming majority of the symbology and metaphors, literally, yes, there are going to be two men that will show up one day, and they will literally breathe fire out of their mouth and spew it on everybody. A really bad case of acid reflex. Okay? <laughs> they take this all really literally, and they believe that everything in chapters 16 through 19, and then, of course, 20 through 22, is all future. They believe that there's going to literally be a seven-year tribulation, that we will live our life, and then the, the, that all of a sudden a seven-year tribulation will begin, and it will be literally seven calendar years. And everything, the, the, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, 
the, 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 the bold judgments, the two witnesses that breathe fire, the Antichrist that kills people and gives everybody the mark of the beast, which is going to literally be some kind of tattoo on your forehead or your arm or something like that, that that's all literally going to happen in this seven-year time period. And it will be kind of intense in three and a half years, and then the Antichrist will be killed and come back somehow, the witnesses will be killed. All these things will happen, and it will just go into hyper-turbo persecution, oppression. And the Antichrist will create a literal one-world government, a one-world religion. Um, and this is kind of one of the reasons I have a problem with this view is, like, my goodness, the Democrats and Republicans can't agree with each other. Um, and we can't even run the East Coast well. And when the electricity went out a few years ago in the windstorm, we couldn't even get it back up for multiple weeks. How are we going to run the entire empire with one guy? So um, I just, I mean, I know that's possible, but I just, I'm a cynic and I'm a skeptic. And I just don't see after thousands and thousands of years that we can't even get one state to agree on anything. How are we going to get the entire world under one leader? So obviously, according to Left Behind books, there's always going to be the rebels led by Luke Skywalker or somebody going against things. And I'm not trying to make love of this view. I just, this is just my sense of humor on everything. So, And then at the end of that seven years, Christ is literally going to come back and set up his throne, literally reign for a thousand years, and then the kingdom of God will come. Okay, now this brings you into whether you're a pre-trib rapture, a mid-trib rapture, or a post-trib rapture. They believe very strongly in the rapture, and they believe that everybody will be sucked off the planet, either at the very beginning of the seven years, the middle, or the end. Most of them believe in the main being. They have a hard time believing that Christ would allow his believers to go through that. My opinion is the believers for the last several thousand years have gone through way worse hell than a seven-year time period that's coming. And so I don't think that's a valid argument to say the rapture is happening before all that because God has allowed lots of horrible things to happen to the church. And if you go to persecutedchurch.com or talk to any missionary, they can tell you the atrocities that have been committed. And I just think that's so insulting to say you weren't spared, but somehow we as Americans will be because I, this tends to be a very American view that we're going to be protected because we have had lived a very good life compared to history and most of the world. Most people who take this view are Americans. They're mostly Americans or Europeans. Um, when things get really bad, this view begins to fall apart. Um, most people who take this view, when their country falls, um, they begin to jettison this view because it just doesn't work anymore in a lot of ways. So they believe that things are just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. They, they're very, they have a very pessimic, pessimistic view of humanity and what we're going and they will eventually just get so bad that the Antichrist will rise up and make it even worse, and Christ is going to bring an end to all that. And yes, they're right to certain degree. Things will get worse um, because we're just humans. So chapter 18 is the second coming. They believe the great prostitute that rides the beast, which is chapter 17. They believe, most of them believe that that's the Catholic Church. They take the prostitute very seriously, as in it's a believer who has prostituted themselves out, and the greatest example of that, according to them, is the Catholic Church. Um, it's the biggest and most dominant power throughout human history. Um, they, they believe that Babylon, that she sits on the seven hills, is literally Rome, and they believe the prostitute is literally the Catholic Church. And so, uh, and then, that, and then and now, it's, it's some form of it evolving into the United Nations. 
they very much take that. So one, the Catholic Church isn't on the map yet, nor is the United Nations, nor, yeah, but Rome, I can understand. This view is gaining fewer and fewer followers as time goes on. And one of the major reasons is the Holy Roman Empire doesn't exist anymore. The Catholic Church has now said that their numbers are way, way, way lower than the Muslims, than the Hindus in the world. Even the Buddhists are beginning to like begin to surpass. Um, the, the, the Wicca and the occult is the fastest growing religion in America and Europe. It's just, and we know the Catholic Church has no political power anymore. They have no influence anymore. The United Nations even isn't even what we all thought or feared or whatever they were. I mean, they were definitely something to fear. They're not, they're, they've weaned out. I mean, how many people talk about the United Nations anymore? And so as these things disappear, it's like, what are you left with? There's no more Rome. Um, they're, they're, the last, they were like, well, Rome did fall, but it's the Holy Roman Catholic Church now. Well, that's kind of dead and gone now. Um, so it's kind of like, who who's your beast? And and literally so much rests on that, that if you change who the prostitute and the beast is, so many other things in the view just fall apart. They collapse. They're all like dependent upon each other. So there's many people who, like, you, you know, you, you, you go to churches now, people just don't talk about this view as much as they used to. It's kind of waned out. Now, obviously, they don't take everything literally, literally, literally. We already talked about that. But they do take the numbers. There's numbers where it says three and a half years, 1,260 days, which is also seven years. Or, sorry, 42 months, three and a half years, double times two, and 1,260 days. These all equal seven years. And so they take that very literally in that sense. The first problem with this interpretation is it completely ignores the nature of apocalyptic literature. You literally have to throw everything out of apocalyptic literature out the door. Okay, they violate everything, everything. It's a very American literalist. I have not really dove into the First Testament seriously, and I'm not saying they haven't, because many of these people are brilliant scholars. But they also tend, here's what you have to understand about the scholarly world. Most scholars focus all the energy into the First Testament or the Second Testament. They might dabble back and forth, but... It's, there, that's a, there's a lot of books to try to master. And so they usually pick one or the other. And, and so people who are in love with Revelation, take this view, they tend to focus most of their energy on the Second Testament, just for the sake of time. I mean, I got three girls. It's hard to, it's hard to do the time and the research and all that kind of stuff, like, let alone when you have to do multiple books. And so they, they, they tend to not understand the prophets. They, I mean, listen, one of the major reasons that I came to the view that I have is studying the prophets really in depth. I think the prophets lay most of the foundation. And I know you're like the prophets. They're hard and they're dense. And that's why we don't go there a lot of times. The second problem is that there's too many passages that would have been read by the first readers referring to places and events that they would have taken it. Like the first readers would have never seen it as United Nations or Catholic Church or, or like Russia. Like Gog and Magog is Russia. They would have never like they would have never like read this and thought, oh, this doesn't apply to me, 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 this does that that that, that, that they would have never read that. They would have interpreted it through their lens. And if they weren't supposed to, don't you think John as a good teacher would say, This doesn't apply to you? This is for some future generation. But he never does that. Third, and this is my one of my biggest problems with this view too, I really have a hard time believing that nothing in this book applies 
to any Christian for thousands of years except for that seven-year period. That only those Christians. Now, yes, you would say it can warn us of the future. It can keep us from not rejecting Christ. And it helps us stay faithful to the rapture and that kind of stuff. But still, like those are just general, like you can get that from any book of the Bible. Every book of the Bible, every epistle, especially the epistles, talk about remain faithful, persevere, Christ is coming back, God will judge you. Like, you can get that from the seven letters. I really have a hard time, like, that witnesses breathing fire and beasts with horns and seven-headed dragons and, and three and a half years of this and a rapture and judgments and plagues and the sun going out and the moon disappearing, that, that none of that applies except for a, a seven-year period of Christians. That's it. And so we just faithfully keep this going until they come along. And that, I really struggle with that big time. For this view is based on a literal seven-year tribulation. Everything hinges on a seven-year tribulation. The word tribulation is only mentioned one time in the letters of the churches. Other than that, the word seven is never mentioned. We, we get 1,260 days over here. And then somewhere else we get three and a half years. And somewhere else we get 42. And every time these numbers are mentioned, they're never rooted in a historical context. They're, they're just thrown out there, are mixed in with all this symbology. They're never rooted into a, when does this 42-year period start? How does this 42 match up with the three and a half years? How does this match up with that? It, ju they ju it just seems to be floating out there. And when things float, they tend to be more metaphorical and symbolic than they are literal. We, when, we get, when you're giving dates and sequential years or days, one would expect them to be rooted in a concrete begin and end, and that these different numbers would be sequentially laid out next to each other, and they're not. Um, as you read it, we're not going to get any of these numbers until chapter 12. So you have to wait all the way to chapter 12 before you get any kind of numbers. So how do you know that all the seals that happened before chapter 12 and all the trumpets that happened before 12, why are those all happening in a seven-year period when no number is mentioned until after all those judgments? That's a big problem. You would think if those happened within the seven years, a number would be given before we begin the seven years. And the number, when the numbers do given, they're only given about a handful of times, literally, and they're all scattered and divorced from each other in any kind of historical context. And they all happen way after this seven and a half years or the seven years began. And so I really struggle with um, that. And once and in nowhere else is that, is that mentioned. They do get this idea of seven years from Daniel. Now, if you want to unpack Daniel, go back to my audio, read my commentary. I'm not going to unpack that because it took me two nights to unpack Daniel um, chapter 9 and the 70 weeks okay but basically the idea is that there's 70 weeks until Christ comes okay so each week represents a, a year or, um, or seven years so seven times seven is 490 years that's about when Christ came between Daniel and Christ 490 years so he breaks it up into 62 weeks and then oh, in Latin there's this last week and they believe that this language in the right between the 69th week and the 70th week is about an Antichrist coming. So they believe it's about the Antichrist coming, and it believes about Jesus coming, and so they believe that Jesus comes in the 69th week. And that means that when Jesus comes, there's still one week left. And they believe then that because of that, that one week hasn't happened because Christ already came, so that must be the week that Christ comes back, the seven-year tribulation. And I'm really nutshelling this, so if you're like, what? 
go back and listen to the audio because I just, I'm not going to spend two nights going over Daniel again. Um, that's why I record and have notes. So they basically believe the language works, then the 69th week Christ comes, and so you have this one week left over, the seven-year time period. And so that means something's going to happen, but nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. So that's what they call the gap era, the gap theory. The church is in that gap. And we're just waiting and waiting and waiting for the rapture. And when the rapture happens, that's when that 70th week begins. And that's then the seven-year tribulation and Christ coming back a second time. The problem with that is, if you read it, Christ doesn't come back till the 70th week. It is so clear. Every single First Testament scholar believes that the 70th week is the coming of Christ. The 69th week is the Antichrist. And it, like I said, go back to the audio and that kind of stuff. But I would tell you with, with great confidence that every single First Testament scholar, with a few exceptions, because there's always somebody out there, does not take that. Why would you count down and then in a week? And then, not, and then assume, they're like, well, there's a comma there. And that's the gap year of thousands of years between. Commas mean lots of things. And they're mostly breathing marks, um, pause marks, not like, thousand multi-thousand year gaps that has been largely rejected by most scholars even most second testament scholars do not think that that's just counting down to christ and then there's one week lever but that's literally where they get the seven-year time period it comes from the book of daniel and is found nowhere else in the bible they apply that to the book of revelation and say that 1290 days must be talking about that so that's the the tribulation now, once again, I'm nutshelling this a lot, so there's probably lots of, like, what, no, about this and about this that they would throw at me. Um, and if you really want to go in those details, I can. But most people here probably don't want to go in all those details right now, so I'm just kind of nutshelling it. If you want to go deeper, I can point you to things where I can talk to you about that. So I have a problem with that. I have a problem with waiting all that time for this to show up. The, the next problem with this view is the Roman Catholic Church Obviously, that doesn't exist anymore, so that makes the things collapse. The sixth problem with this is when you follow the futurists, every single time they say this symbol means that, or this means that, or this is literally that, literally, 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 it's always European-American things. The, the church has been mostly non-American for thousands of years. And America, I'm not saying it's the end of the world because America is collapsing. Some people might say that. I'm not even saying America is collapsing. It looks like it might. Um, if you read any, if you study history, no nation survives very long before its power collapses. I definitely think we're coming close to America's superpower collapsing. I'm not saying America is going to be annihilated and blown up and that we're all going to cease to exist or whatever like that. I mean, Europe collapsed in its power and it's still there. Like the, the Turkish Ottoman Empire collapsed, it's still there. The Mongols collapsed, they're still there. But the power collapsed. I think we're getting close according to being a student of history, um, the, 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 thing, the markers of the rise and the fall of the Roman Empire that can apply to pretty much every other nation, that we're getting close to a superpower collapse. And, and, and so for most of history, we have not been the central world. We have not been the superpower. And I think it's very strange that most of these events match up with American things and not like Chinese or um, Indonesian or even Venezuela, South America, or they just happen to match up with America and Europe. And yet the vast majority of Christians in the past and even today is not American. We have never been the majority of Christians. We may have been the majority 
implementing a Judeo-Christian morality-basis constitutional idea in the world, but we have never been the majority boots-on-the-dirt kind of Christians, and we still are not to this day. Most countries send more missionaries to America than we send to the rest of the world. Okay, I just had a student come and join my class last week because his father got a vision from God calling him to be a missionary in America because we're so in desperate need of Christ. Okay, And he came and he followed it. So I have a hard time believing once you take America out of the picture, a lot of this future stuff falls apart. A lot of it collapses. I'm not saying that everything does. I'm not saying that nothing can't stand if you take it away. But I am saying that you're going to chop quite a few legs away and it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. The other problem with this view is it tends to be very fear. I mean, how many grow up really being afraid of the coming of Christ? I mean, not necessarily they're afraid of the coming of Christ, like that was going to be good, but afraid of like, what if the rapture happened after this? Or, yeah, or, yeah, you're left behind. Like, that song's scary. Like, you're not, the, the gospel is never meant to fill you with fear. The gospel is not scare tactics. I mean, yes, there's places where God makes it very clear. Judgment is coming. You're gonna, you, there's a possibility you could be thrown in the lake of fire. But it's not just a fire and brimstone scare tactic like haunted house horror thing just to scare you in out of hell. It's, it's letting you know that this is a very real reality if you don't embrace Christ. But it's a very real reality of what your choices will lead you to. And I love you so much that it's really about exposing your need for me so that you can be redeemed. And not just like scare, 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 scare the crap out of you so you're crippled with fear. And I know that that was not their intention. I'm not saying that there's a weakness of their view because that's what they intended or that's what they tried to do. But that ended up becoming the fruit of it. That became the fruit. And you will know it by its fruit. And most people that I have ever known, including me, the revelation was something that scared the crap out of you. And it was not something that filled you with hope and joy and anticipation of God's redemption was something like, dear God, please don't let me be anywhere close to that. Please don't let it be this. And even then, like, oh my gosh, all the Christians who are, all the people are left behind, but then come become Christians in that seven years, like, why does God less love them less than all of us who are, like, spared from it? Like, all but they deserved it because they wait to the 11th hour, but that's not even Christ-like. I've heard all different things. I'm not saying everybody takes that, but... I've heard a lot of things, and it's mostly been fear, 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 fear. And I really struggle with that basis um, of what that fruit ex- um, entails. If you have like, well, what about this, and what about this, and what about this, I feel free to talk to me later, but I, does that overall view make sense? That's what I'm more interested in right now. Here's the other problem with the view. They will even admit this. The ones who are diehard scholars, the ones who even founded it, and developed it, they will even admit that it, this is a very neat view. It is perfectly neat. It is tidy military, make your bed, shoes in their place, neat. Everything is neat and laid out. Everything They have an answer for everything. It all fits in this way and that way and that way. And, and, and in some ways, it's like, it's too neat. Nothing in the Bible has ever been that neat. Daniel, we, we were post-Daniel, and all of it's been fulfilled, and it's still not neat. It's just too neat. Life is too complicated and too messy for it to be neat. And a lot of them, if you ask them, you can go up and ask them and you say, okay, you say, what about this passage? What does that mean? 
And they're like, well, it means da 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 And you're like, where did you get that from the context? Well, I didn't actually get that from the context. I had to get it from here and here and here and here. Well, why did you do that? Because if this doesn't mean this, then all of this else other stuff falls apart. And then you're like, okay, but what is this meaning over there? Well, it means this and this and this. And you're like, okay, well, where did you get that? And you're like, well, I got it from this verse and that verse and that verse and that verse and that verse. Well, why did you do that? Because if it doesn't mean this, then everything else falls apart. And then what you begin to find is that a lot of their answers are, if, if I don't get answers from all these other places, then everything begins to fall apart. And what you begin to realize is a system was created, and then the Bibles fit into the system. And, 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 and they will disagree with that. But once again, if you ask them these questions, they will keep saying da-da-da. And I have heard very, like my professors, who I love and admire at Dallas Theological Seminary, who know lots of stuff. And when I asked them, and this is when I believed in it. I wasn't even trying to refute them. I believed in Left Behind. I read the books. Like, I mean, they were like, I got them as a kid, and I believed in it, and I had no idea. And I was asking them, and I noticed, even as a believer in the Left Behind view and all that kind of stuff, that they was like, well, da-da-da-da-da-da. And I was like, and, and Dallas Theological heart is the, the heart, Seminary is the heart. It's the birthplace of this view. And the birthplace of the view said that a lot. It said, well, if I don't make this, it'll fall apart here and here and here. It really seems like a system that is then applied to the Bible. Okay, now, more, you're more than agree, feel agree to disagree with me, but if you do, I would really strongly recommend that you go and research my, the problems with this and really refute them. Like, okay, like my opinion is only valid as the evidence I give. Just like your opinion is only as valid as the evidence that you give. So I might be wrong. Like I said, I hold this very loosely. I might be wrong, but you still have to argue very textually from the scripture why each one of these problems are wrong. And there's more. These are just the big ones. And there's charts here, too. I created these charts to try to help you. I'm not, if you're like, that chart's kind of confusing here and there and that kind of stuff, let me know. I will revamp it. Like, I'm not convinced that when I make something, it's perfect and it clearly communicates to everybody. So I welcome input on you could have done this chart or that idea a little bit better because that's what I've been doing for the last several years of teaching is constantly retweaking based on each year. The preterist view, this is the vast majority. By the way, the futurist view is, the mi is, is a minority. It's not the most minority. The, the biggest minority is the historist. Um, but this is the second. The, 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 the vast majority of scholars are preterists. The vast majority of scholars are preterists. Preterist derives from the Latin word past. They believe that everything except for the last couple chapters in chapter 19, depending on you do, has all been fulfilled already. They believe that it all was fulfilled in that first century of the Christians. Okay, so they, they would take the seven, the seven letters of chapters one through three as happening already, and they would take all the judgments as already happening. And they base this on the fact that over and over and over again in the Bible, in Habakkuk and in Jeremiah and Joel, it talks about the sun going black and this, the moon going out, and mountains collapsing. And it's specifically referring to the coming of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And it's so clear. Even the prophet says, when the Babylonians come, when the Assyrians come, the mountains will collapse, and da-da-da-da-da. Okay? It's metaphorical of just the earth shaking. And when an army comes into all of everything from Turkey, all the way to India, and all the way from the Black Sea down to Egypt, and that army comes into the world and massacres over 80% of the population 
during the 700s and the 500s and the 600s. And they deport everybody across. And they read, this is the first time that all borders were redrawn. People were scattered, nations collapsed. That would feel like to you as, you're, as this army is coming into your village and they are massacring and, and violating you sexually and they're killing people and then they're putting nose rings in your nose and chaining you to a chain or a rope, chaining metaphorically because they didn't have chains. They're binding you to a rope and they're marching hundreds and hundreds of miles to just drop you off in some random burned down village. It's like taking an ant farm and going like that. You would feel like the world is collapsing on you. And so they would say, this language has been used of the Assyrians, this language has been used of the Babylonians. Habakkuk uses his language of the coming of the Babylonians, and that all happened, and it didn't all literally happen. So this is just a description of the Roman Empire coming in at 135 AD, destroying the Jews, killing most of them, driving the rest of them out, destroying the temple, which was a mountain, collapsing. And even when Christ died, there was the sun went black. And when Peter comes along in chapter 2 of Acts, he says, this fulfills Joel, who says the sun will go black and the moon will turn red. They would say this all happened. The Antichrist is Nero. Okay, we'll talk about this later. But there's this called, um, 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 that you can take letters and assign numbers to it. And if you add up the letters of Nero, it just happens to equal 666. Um, and then there was a, a, a rumor that he had died, but he didn't really. So they would just say, this is all that. This all happened in that seven-year time period. And now we're just living post that. And one day Christ is going to come back and bring the kingdom of God. Every view believes that Christ is coming back. So obviously the prostitute that rides the beast, the seven hills, is literally the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire, Rome, literally sat on top of seven hills. It was known all throughout human history as the city of seven hills. Nobody else has ever been referred to that ever. Um, the predators are biblical. They're very biblical. There is a minor group of predators because I'm telling you, the vast majority... The, the, a, lot of the, a lot of the scholars that you might listen to or respect, they take a preterist view. There's a very small minority within the preterist called full preterists. And the full preterists believe that none of that future stuff is happening. Christ isn't coming back. The kingdom of God is not coming back. We are living in the thousand-year reign for the rest of eternity. This is the church is responsible for making things better. And now Christ, the Holy Spirit's in us. And the Christ is reigning in us, and we will make Christ reign physical and literal, not with him coming, but by us just changing the world for the better. And to their credit, you can kind of argue that a little bit. There is more peace in the world than there ever has been ever in human history. There are fewer wars than there ever have been. The wars are less devastating than they ever have. And more people have come to Christ in the last hundred years than all of human history. The church is spreading. You may not see in America, but if you go to places like Venezuela and China and, um, and, and Africa, the church is spreading like crazy. The, the, the statistically speaking, the majority Christian is a black African woman and a Venezuelan woman, and now the Islamic countries are starting to get closer and closer to those numbers. You're not seeing the numbers grow because they're usually dying after they convert. But if you just count the conversion of somebody who's now of faith and in heaven, the numbers are dr growing drastically, even though the statistics may not exist on earth as a human being who's alive. And so they can point to that. But at the same time, one could say, 
Government corruption worldwide seems to be higher than ever before. It doesn't seem to have ever gone away. There's more slavery right now in the world than there ever has been in all of the American human history. However, the full preterist view is not biblical because the full preterists deny the literal, physical second coming of Jesus Christ. And this completely ignores the tension in the Second Testament of the already not yet where the epistles make it very clear that yes, Christ has fulfilled some of the prophecies of the First Testament, and this is the fact that he's come, died on the cross, atoned for sin, given us the Holy Spirit to indwell us. But he has not fulfilled other prophecies where he's going to literally physically come to earth and eliminate all sin, evil, death, and Satan, and set up a new kingdom on earth where we can dwell with him for all eternity. The full preterist does not believe in this, therefore it's not biblical. However, the preterist itself does believe in the literal second coming of Jesus Christ and setting up his kingdom on earth where there is no sin, evil, Satan, or death, or any of that kind of stuff. So in this sense, the preterist is biblical because it's not denying any of the basic tenets or foundations of Christianity or the Bible. So they would say this has all been fulfilled, and like I said, Yes, preterists get a bad rap because they're usually seen as not believing in the second coming, but that's a minority. They call them full press, but the vast majority of them do believe in it. I have friends who are preterists. They believe adamantly in the second coming, but they believe everything else has been fulfilled. And in most, a lot of commentaries have been written that way. A lot of professors, really respected people take this view because they're text people. They look at the text and they say it's been fulfilled. The first problem with this view is that most of Revelation has already been fulfilled. Um, I, though I believe that the Bible is written to the original audience, I believe the Bible is for all of us. And it's the same problem I have with the futurists. The difference is most of this doesn't apply to us unless you get to that future generation. Likewise, most of this doesn't apply to us because it's already happened. And so that's a problem with this view. Like, so that means everything that we're reading in Revelation, except for chapter 21 and 22, really isn't going to help us through our life and struggle. We can look back and we can say, wow, that helped them. But that doesn't really help us. We don't think that way. Like, wow, Paul got through it. I can too. No, mostly what encourages is when Paul promises us things or this will happen and Christ will come to meet you. Secondly, their problem is just like the futures narrowly applies it to um, America, they tend to narrowly apply it to Israel. Uh, and I don't see too much wrong with that because it is Israel. I mean, judges is Israel. Kings is Israel. The problem with this is, is there's some language that's very global. There's some language that's very global. And so it's hard to, what do you do with that global language? And they don't really have answers for that. that that's the major problems. That brings us to the histories. The histories sees Revelation as symbolizing a chronological sequence of events that will occur throughout the course of history. So the historist takes everything metaphorically, but also literally, in a way. What they believe is they believe that the letters of the seven churches represent seven periods throughout history. So the first church letter represents the early first church period. And then the second letter represents like the Vistagoths and the Germanians and the Roman, um, uh, the Franks and all that kind of stuff after the Roman Empire collapses and the church is just beginning to grow in Europe and the next one represents the Catholic age and the next one represents the American Empire or the British Empire or whatever and that the last church, Laodicea, represents today. We're all complacent and entitled 
and um, only 2% of Christians tithe and witness and that kind of stuff. So they would see this as representing seven time periods in history, seven historical time periods. Then they would go to the seven-year tribulation, and they would see that as recapitulating the whole, the whole human history again. And so they would say, like the locusts coming out with wings beating and the hair of women and teeth, that represent the Apache helicopters of Desert Storm and how they painted the faces of women on the Apache helicopters and had the hair flowing back and the helicopter wings are beating like locusts and they're devouring everything in their path. And so they would say that's a very literal historical event, but God used metaphors to describe it. So they would then go through and they would say, this plague represents that period in history, and that plague represents World War I, and that plague represents World War II, and that plague represents the Korean War, that plague represents the Vietnam War. And they just neatly lay it all out throughout human history. And then we're always somewhere in like the final bowls. That, that's the view they take. And then, of course, the thousand-year reign of Christ is all symbolic of the church. It's all symbolic of the church. And so they would say that churches, all of human history, Judgments, recapitulating all of history. This is the thousand-year reign of Christ, recapitulating all of history. Then Christ comes back, and the kingdom of God comes down to earth. They would say they can match each plague up with a historical event, but it's not happening all in a seven-year period in the future. It didn't all happen within about a decade in Israel. It's happening gradually throughout all of human history. And it's sequential and literal and historical of what that metaphorical plague applies to. And they're pretty good. Here's um, the problem with this view. Most, no, nobody really takes this view, except for some people on the internet. You can't find a scholar who takes this view, but there's lots of people on the internet, and you can find YouTube videos where they will literally take you through with pictures from t- history textbooks showing you how this matches up and that matches up. Here's the problem with this view. One of the major problems with this view is this violates all the apocalyptic language as well. It it at least holds up the symbology and the metaphor. But the other problem with this view is this is a major one. Every decade that goes by, they have to redo their videos. They have to redo their videos. Every decade that goes by, because every single view puts you where in the last final plagues. And then like a couple decades go by, and it's like Christ hasn't come back. And, but we have like a couple decades for two more plagues. That doesn't work because we've been very specific here. So then they had to go back and rework everything to like get us to, okay, now this plague no longer applies to World War II. It now applies to like Desert Storm so that we can still have a couple more plagues to go for the, the few more years that we have before Christ comes. And so if Christ doesn't come back for another thousand years, how many times is this view going to be reworked, Right. Because it's dependent upon events in history, you have to constantly rework your view again. They are highly, highly dependent upon historical events to make their view work. So the future is dependent upon everything being literal. The preterist is dependent upon this has already happened. The history is dependent upon literal historical events that they have to match up and match them up really well. And so when more history goes by, the view has to be reworked. And it's like shuffling everybody in seats um, to get it all to work. And sometimes they have to throw some seats out because it doesn't match up anymore. It doesn't match up anymore. So they have to find something else. The idealist. The idealist view is also known as a spiritualist view. And they say, look, 
You're violating too much of the apocalyptic language. I have a hard time with it all being future and doesn't apply to me. I have a hard time with it all being done and doesn't apply to me. The historist view, 99.999% of people, all statistics are 60% of them are made up, think this is just weird and doesn't work. And obviously reworking it doesn't work. So they would say, this is all metaphorical. They're, um, they interpret the book spiritually or symbolically rather than literally. And they believe that there is no literal seven-year period. They would agree with the historists that we're in the seven-year tribulation right now. Seven is symbolic of completion. The seven-year tribulation applies to everything between the first and the second coming of Christ. And that these plagues just represent things that will happen on the planet throughout time. They're not going to say that this plague of the locusts matches up exactly with this event in history, but they will say there have been multiple devastating events throughout history that have devastated the earth. Um, the, the, there have been many mountains that have exploded and volcanic eruptions that have killed people. There have been many antichrists that have raised up and oppressed people. John chapter 4 even says there have been many antichrists and there will be many yet to come. So the beast isn't one specific guy. It's Nero. It's, it's Genghis Khan. It's, it's Antiochus IV. It's British generals. It's Oprah. It's just over and over again. <laughs> and yes, she is. If you follow her teaching, she is definitely an antichrist. Okay? It's antichrist is anybody who says, I will show you the path of salvation. You don't need Christ. You, I'll, I'll show you. You can do it yourself. And she definitely does that. And lots of people said, or Hitler said, I, I will bring a utopian society and earth, pledge your absolute total allegiance to me, and, and I will spare you from every bad thing that can happen. It's the music industry that says, sell your soul to us, and you will promote our occult agenda, but when everything goes into hell in a handbasket with the economy stuff, we'll protect you, and when everybody is suffering during COVID or government shutdown, and people are losing their jobs, and people are getting depressed, you won't have to worry about it because we will put you in a giant mansion where you can complain about how miserable your life is because you only have access to one tennis court and one pool and all that kind of stuff during this whole shutdown period Why people are literally dying from government shutdown. And it's that. It's the I in the music industry and follow me and sell yourself to me and I will give you eternal life, so to speak. And so they would say that's many antichrists and they would say this is just happening over and over and over again. It doesn't match up with a very specific event. Lots of events can match up, but they would take a very applicational view. They would take a very applicational. They would not say any event specifically. They wouldn't even say it's even totally literal. They would just say these are spiritual truths to help encourage us that the world is falling apart. Don't go with the world. Christ is coming back. Stay with him. So they would say we are literally in the thousand-year reign. Um, well, not literally, but we're, we're in the thousand-year. Everything between the first and second coming of Christ is the tribulation. Things are really bad. They've always been bad, and they're not going to get any better soon. We're also in the, the millennial reign of Christ because the Holy Spirit is in us. And if there is any good in the world, it is the Christians, it is the church. Okay? And so they would say, this is seen. If you've ever read the book Dominion, who was written by an atheist, or What's So Great About Christianity by Dinesh D'Souza, they will tell you and make it very clear that the, anything that is good with the world is because of the church. The whole, almost the whole world embraced pedophilia and, and abortion, all that kind of stuff. It was in, in child slavery and, 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 and the, 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 the diminutiveness and the oppression of women and all kinds of stuff. Christianity 
is what brought the feminist movement. Christianity brought into child slavery laws. Christianity brought it into pedophilia. Christianity brought it into slavery. Christianity did all that. And now that Christianity is dying in the Western world, pedophilia is coming back, even among our government leaders and our politicians and our musicians. And, 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 and slavery is coming back. Abortion is coming back. There are so many, you see, back when we were growing up, abortion was like, I didn't know it was a real baby. I have the right for my choice. Now everybody knows it's a real baby, and so many women are now saying, heck yes, I want abort, because God forbid that you tell me that I can't sleep around with whoever I want, and then I have to pay the consequences for a baby. Heck yes, I have the right to kill them, because that's my right to do what I want. If you don't let me kill my baby, then I can't sleep around with who I want anymore. They're literally saying that now. That's because the salt and the light is dying in America. Now, I'm not saying the rest of the world is like that, because you go to parts of Africa, and they're like, what is wrong with you Americans? But all this stuff is being transgenderism, all this stuff. They would say, um, that's the church. The, the seven-year tribulation, we're in it, because the world's always going to be going to go bad. And the millennial reign is a church that's always preserving salt and light. Maybe we're not doing that great a job in America, but in Venezuela and Africa and stuff, they're doing a great job. Uh, do they have a great battle to still fight? Heck yeah. But they're still doing some great things. And so they take a very literal or a very metaphorical view of this. The first problem with this view is that um, they deroot a lot of the symbols. Like I told you, the sunset is a metaphor, but it's still rooted in a very literal idea and concept. And so the spiritualist view can deroot things too much. It's, they, they, they've made it so symbolic and so metaphorical that does it even point to anything? And they might even say that there's really not going to even be earthquakes. There may not even be an antichrist, all that kind of stuff. It's just spiritual truths of corruption in the world and what the church is called to do to end the corruption. And it's basically what it is. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an allegorical story of the fight between good and evil. And ultimately, good is going to end. But to read it any deeper into this event and that event and that event is pushing it too far. The unfortunate thing about this view is they can make it too metaphorical, too symbolical, and symbolic, and, and deroot it too much. Deroot it too much. And, and that's not what apocalyptic literature is. It still has a historical root. Like when Daniel prophesied that this beast was coming up out of the sea, yes, that beast is not real. There's not really a forehead, four-wing leopard. That, and there's not a, but it's still rooted in a very historical event of the Greek Empire the Greek Empire. And when you go over to the, the goat, the goat then becomes a new perspective of the Greek Empire. And then when you go into the little horn, it becomes another perspective of a member of the Greek Empire. And so these things are still highly symbolic. There is no talking horn and there is no goat and there is no beast coming out of the sea, but they're still rooted in the historical facts. And, um, and the, the, symbolic, the, the idealist goes too far <coughs> that direction too far direction. Now, as we go through each chapter, I will try to remind you and say, the futurists will take this view. Because even though I don't agree with any of these views, I still think it's important to say very intelligent, godly Christians fit into one of these views, and it still is worth mentioning when we're in this chapter, this is how the futurists would take it, specifically. I'm giving you a big, big overview. This is how the predators, because I want to do them justice. I want to do them justice to the best of my ability and the time that I have. If I did them full justice, we'd be here for a couple of years. So I'm going to nutshell do them justice, okay? Um, and then point you to resources to go even deeper.